I know I have referenced in the past the World War II movie, The Force 10 from Navarone. And in the past, my focus has always been on that particular scene in that movie where the explosives are placed in the belly of the dam and then detonated. And then follows those very painful moments when we believe the mission has failed, that the explosives weren't strong enough, but then the cracks began to appear in the dam, and the water starts to trickle out, and the trickle turns into a torrent, and eventually the dam collapses. But when I have described that scene to you, and even when I watch the movie, I forget that the ultimate objective was not taking out the dam. The ultimate objective was to release the water behind the dam so that the force of that water would take out the bridge below the dam. The bridge was always the point, the focus. And yet, it seems secondary, anticlimactic, peripheral in the movie when actually it is of the utmost importance because bridges connect. In war, the enemy seeks to destroy your bridge, to cut off your supplies, to cut off communication, to cut off contact, to cut off reinforcements. Bridges are historically and infamously the targets of war. You and I live in a time when cultural bombs are being detonated all around us. Things that were put in place and have long been in place to keep us safe, to order our society, our relationships, even our individual lives, they're being swept away. You and I often get fixated on the bomb, on the explosion. But we've got to understand that the ultimate objective of those bombs is to blow up, to blow up any bridge that leads to God, to cut off communication with Him. That's the goal of our enemy, to blow up the bridge that leads to God. Our job is to build that bridge as believers in Christ, as His devoted disciples. We must be bridge builders in this world. That's what I want to talk about as we return again this morning to the letter of 1 Peter chapter 2. So I'm going to ask you now to take out your Bibles if you have one or use the one in the pew in front of you and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And when you've found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. First Peter chapter 2 beginning in verse 4, this is the word of the Lord. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a, cho- a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him 
will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray now that you would bless your word to our hearing, to our understanding, and toward changing our lives so that we might be more the people you've called us to be, to do the things you've called us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at this identity that God has given to us. You and I are holy priests, royal priests. And here's what we've seen about that identity along the way. First, we've seen that it is fixed. This is the identity for which God created Adam and Eve and placed them in that garden sanctuary. Secondly, we looked at the function we have to carry out as priests. Last week, we looked at the favor of God that He bestows upon us in our work as priests. We offer what we offer, whatever that may be, through Jesus Christ, and that offering that sacrifice is acceptable to God, emphatically so. Everything offered to Christ that passes through the hands of Christ is cleansed, purified, acceptable to God, and has His smile upon it. I pray that you have thought about that often in the course of this last week. Have you? The smile of God. Well, this morning I'm going to add to the fixedness, the function, and the favor of that identity another F. And that is the face-forward nature of that identity. In the early church, the Latin word that is translated priest here was pontiff. The Roman Catholic Church still uses that word in a perverted way and and not in a way that Peter says it should be used of all believers. But the word pontiff is a compound Latin word made up of two words, pont, which means bridge, and facere, which means to do or to make. And so you put the words together and you have to make a bridge. And so the church then, as they thought about their identity, had this powerful image to remind them that their role was to build bridges to the world so that for the world they could build a bridge that leads to God. A bridge by which the world could escape out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. It's the face-forward nature of the church. And it stands in opposition to the church that builds a moat around itself, then scurries across the drawbridge 
into its own space, draws up the bridge, and shuts the door to keep the world out. No. Bridge builders. That's how priests, that's how you and I are to view ourselves. But I need you to listen very carefully to this. When I say build a bridge, I don't mean that in the sense that the world often uses it. I don't mean by bridge building that you and I seek to compromise with the world or pacify the world or look just like the world in order to reach the world. No, we are not called to become some watered-down version of a priest that is acceptable and unoffensive to the commands and the demands of our culture. Peter writes in these verses, out of darkness, into the light. The word for church in the New Testament is ecclesia, called out ones. There can be no compromise with the world. Did you hear that? I want to be clear. There can be no compromise with the world. But neither can there be withdrawal from it. If you and I are being faithful priests, it means that we have our face forward, turned to the world. For the rest of our time this morning, I'm going to answer two questions. First, what does it mean to build a bridge? And secondly, what do bridge builders face when we put our face forward in the world? First of all, what does it mean to build a bridge? Well, that's a quick and easy answer. Look with me in verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. I don't want to spend a lot of time on these two words, proclaim and excellencies. I think they speak for themselves. They call you and me to speak out, to recite the virtues of Christ, the deeds of Christ, the character of Christ. That's what bridge builders do. They hold up Christ so everyone can see how beautiful and excellent He is. But here's the question. How well equipped are you to build the bridge? And I suppose the answer to that question depends on how well you know the excellencies of Christ for yourself. How much you have sought through His Word to find out more and more how wonderful He is. To test those excellencies in your life, in your joys, in your struggles, in your fears. To see just how strong that bridge of Christ is under your own feet. You all know how much I love Samuel Rutherford. 17th century Scottish Puritan pastor, Westminster divine, who himself was imprisoned, removed from his church, and imprisoned for his faith. Listen to what one writes who knows the excellencies of Christ. And oh, what a fair one, what a holy one, what an excellent, lovely, ravishing one is Jesus. Put the beauty of 10,000 worlds of paradises, like the Garden of Eden. Put them in one. 
Put all trees, all flowers, all smells, all colors, all tastes, all joys, all sweetness, all loveliness in one. And oh, what a fair and excellent thing would that be. And yet, it would be less in comparison to that fair and dearest, well-beloved Christ than one drop of rain to the whole seas, rivers, lakes, and fountains of ten thousand earths. Oh, but Christ is heaven's wonder. Christ is earth's wonder. Words like these should not be an anomaly. They should be a commonality among all those who know and love Christ. You and I have got to study Christ through His Word so that we know Him in this way and could write of Him like this. Christ is the bridge between God and man. If we are going to build, build bridges, then we must know the bridge well. We must know His excellencies because when you've experienced the goodness and the blessing of each of the excellencies of Christ in your own life, then proclaiming those excellencies will not be a burden to you. It will not be an embarrassment to you. But the uncontainable overflow of your lips and your life. Now I want to move to the second question. What will bridge builders face as we put our faces toward the world? Look up in verse 4. Peter talks about Jesus, the living stone, being rejected by men. And to reject simply means to regard as unworthy or unfit. That's the estimation in the world of Christ. And so you and I can expect that when we go into the world with the excellencies of Christ, we will face rejection. Jesus did. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We can expect rejection, but we must not let that rejection deter us. It must not cause us to give up. It must not cause us to hate and despise those who do the rejecting. Now, we're prone to that. Or maybe I accuse you falsely. Maybe I should say, I am prone to that. I watch the news. I read the legislation. A poll conducted on July 6th of this year for Newsweek magazine found that 44% of millennials believe that referring to someone by the wrong gender pronoun should be a criminal offense. Criminal offense. Another 25% weren't sure if it should be a criminal offense. So add the numbers and you've got almost 70% of people, millennials, who think you should go to jail for calling someone by the wrong pronoun. And yet 48% of them believe that abortion should be legal under all and any circumstances. So kill the babies... But go to jail if you use 
the wrong pronoun. That makes me want to rage. (laughs) Rage against the organizations. Rage against the political leaders that engender and promote and finance this belief. And that's just one small item in this relentless agenda in our culture to defy God, to defy His will, and to defy His way. But we must not hate. Y'all need to say that to me. Craig, you must not hate. Say it to me. Thank you. You need to keep saying that to me. Neither must we withdraw, and never must we fear them, or their seemingly unconquerable power and momentum. How many times do we say, well, that train has left the station. It's never coming back, as if we're hopeless. No, here's why. Look again at the end of verse 7. It says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now it's beyond the time and the focus that we have this morning to talk fully about this word destined. But I just want to make this one observation about it. First, look in verse 7. All the verbs there are in the present tense. They are presently not believing. They are presently rejecting. They are presently stumbling. They are presently not obeying. And I only point that out because those who are rejecting Christ, at least in these verses, are only doing so at the present moment. And so when you read this word destined, their future is not in view here. For the present moment, their rebellion is destined by God. That means that the opposition from the world to the gospel never takes God by surprise. Somehow, it's part of his plan for the propagation of the gospel and the growth of the church. This does not preclude a future coming to faith. The Apostle Paul is a prime example of that. Paul was present at the stoning of Stephen, that wonderful first deacon of the church, the man who was filled with the Spirit of God, The man who gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And for this statement, the enemies of Christ picked up stones and stoned Stephen. And Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, was there and he gave His approval to what was happening. Then Scripture tells us that there arose on that day, the day Stephen was stoned, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Can you imagine? How the church must have feared Paul, seen him as an unstoppable force, talked about 
him among themselves as the epitome of all evil against Christ and his church. How they must have prayed that God would stop the evil that Paul perpetrated against them in that moment. In that moment that Paul stumbled over Christ, that he rejected Christ as God's cornerstone. He disobeyed the gospel. But as a result of Paul's persecution, the church spread. It took the next step. Jesus told them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, phase one. All of Judea, phase two. And Samaria, phase three. And to the uttermost parts of the world, phase four. Paul was destined to consent to Stephen's stoning. Paul was destined to persecute the church. And through that persecution, the church spread and spread and spread as believers took the gospel to whatever place they fled to escape the persecutions of Jerusalem. And, Paul, and God used Paul's vehement rejection of Christ to spread the gospel. But then, <laughs> the best part of the story, it pleased God to appear to Paul while he was on the road to Damascus on a mission of finding and persecuting more believers. And Paul, this one who sought to blow up the bridge, fell on his knees before the one he had rejected. He fell on his knees before the one whose name he sought to erase from the lips and the hearts of all people. And he became the greatest evangelist and church planter the world has ever known. I just point this out to encourage us. We do not know what today's destined rejection might become tomorrow. If the church never prayed for Paul... When he was persecuting them, can you imagine how ashamed they must have been for how small their faith was when Paul finally came to faith in Christ? If God wants you in his kingdom, he'll have you. How happy are you about that? That he overcame your rejection? That he overcame your ridicule? That he overcame your ambivalence so that you are here this morning in this place, loving and worshiping him, seeking to be a devoted disciple and a priest that serves him and proclaims his excellencies. Listen to this prayer of the early church. They prayed it when Peter and John showed up right after they had been released from prison and threatened to never speak the name of Jesus again, the church prayed, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. For truly, in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod 
and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, listen, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. You see, the early church didn't struggle with this idea of something being destined by God. They saw it for what it was, a means by which God, in ways that might have been unknown to them, would use to advance the gospel. All they did, listen, all they did was pray for grace to remain bold bridge builders in the midst of that persecution. Please don't hear me saying that everyone will be saved in the end. That's not the point. And it's certainly not the teaching of Scripture. I'm just pointing out that as you and I seek to build those bridges to the world, we just don't know. We don't know what's going to happen in the lives of the most vehement opposers of the gospel. Those who are most set against God, set against His way of salvation, which is one and only. We don't know what's going to happen to the rabid God-haters who claim What we believe, who claim even what I'm speaking this morning, is hate speech. We don't know. So, trusting God with the results, we go face forward to the world that might reject Him and us. But look at the hope that Peter holds out in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If you and I conduct ourselves honorably, even among those who hate Christ, they may see Christ in us. They may hear Christ from us and come to faith. Peter intends that these verses that he has written to these churches will be a comfort to them because they are facing persecution for their faith. But neither they nor we know how that persecution may be advancing the kingdom of God and what God might be doing with the one doing the persecution. So keep building, keep building, keep building. The bomb detonators are not beyond the power or the reach of God. Is that good news? They are not beyond His reach. And so you and I must put away the fear and the anger and the disgust and for the sake of the world, build bridges to the world. You and I don't know how God is going to use that unbelief or the impact it might have on the church when these people actually come to faith. We just build the bridges to the world And in the world, we proclaim the excellencies of Christ so that by Him and through Him, they may escape out of the kingdom of darkness and enter into the kingdom of light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may it be true among us today. Those of us seated here, 
I pray that you would give us a forward face to our culture, to our world. I pray that you would banish fear or unbelief from us or an attitude of giving up and unbelief. Help us to build those bridges, Lord, into the world. And when we're there, help us to build the bridge that leads them to you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.